We have been in this series where we're looking at God's call on each of our lives. We begin by saying that God has a call. That if you are claiming the name of Jesus, there's a call for you. That God doesn't simply accept you into his life, into his family, into his church, and then sideline you. God doesn't put anybody on the bench. God doesn't forget that you're a part of the team. And so we've been looking at that, and I have an agenda for this series. The agenda is simply this. I want something from what we discover in God's Word as we go through the different scriptures, as we go through the different stories about the men and the women that have received the call from God, that that connects with your call somehow. And perhaps you've been sitting on the sidelines, not because God put you there, but because you've chosen to sit there. And that there would be a stirring or a working of God in your heart, in your life, in your thinking, that says, He just might be expecting me to go into action. I would regret if we went through all of these sermons and we all checked the box and said, that was nice. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Dylan, for bringing those messages. That, that was nice. And we became exactly the same people we were before we started with no net difference whatsoever. So today, I want us to look at a temptation that I think we all have. And I'm calling this the dropped call. Now, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise your hand because, well, we would all lie at this point. Have you ever been on a phone call that you did not want to be on and you faked a dropped call? Say, so, yeah, nervous laughter. <laughs> Where you start... Can't hear you. Because there's something about sometimes with phone calls that we don't want to receive the message, right? There was a day before you knew who was calling you on the phone. But then when caller ID became a thing, it was like a superpower. Suddenly you got to decide if you accepted that call or not. In my college days, I had a roommate. He went through a season where he got upside down financially, and so our house was bombarded with calls from bill collectors. And eventually, we got the caller ID because there were so many c- coming in. We could see who was calling, and every time we avoided the phone call, he would avoid the phone call. I didn't want to pick it up and talk to him because he didn't want to talk to him. So it was all these avoided phone calls. It is possible to drop the call from God. Not because God's not coming in clearly, but because God's coming in clearly and we get a vision and an understanding of what he wants and we say, not for me. So I want to talk to you today because you may have a call on your life and even as I begin into the sermon, you may be thinking, how did he know? Because there's been something that God's been laying on your heart. And perhaps he's been laying on your heart in an acute way through this series. And you keep trying to lose connection. You keep trying to move past it, but God's not letting you do that. 
So today we're going to talk about one that dropped the call and what that would mean for us. And today I'm going to talk about a fantastic story in the Bible. Now, I'm going to tell you up front, I believe, I believe 100% this story is fact, that it happened, okay? Now, as I get into it, you may find some of the pieces of it difficult to believe and where, where you come from, and that's okay. What I want you to hang on to is the fact that there's still a message for you in that, even if you don't buy into every single fact as, as the story is laid out, because I would suggest that you read other things, you react to other things that you don't always believe. I mean, you don't believe everything you read on the Internet, right? But you still go on the Internet, right? Okay, so there's going to be some messages here for us all. But I believe this is a factual story. And it's going to seem preponderous because stories like this are hard to believe. It's the story of Jonah. And if you've grown up hearing about this story, and you say it's Jonah and the whale. Because it's a story of a man living for three days inside the belly of a fish. And that just sounds preposterous. So you're going to be amazed when I discovered that this actually recently happened to a guy. Here's, here's a picture of the news headline. That man swallowed by a whale and survives. Modern day Jonah story. Let me introduce you to um, Michael Packard. Michael Packard is a, a lobster diver. Now, if that's not interesting enough, when he's performing his job diving for the lobsters... Um, on June 21st of 2021, he unbeknown, did not see a humpback whale come up behind him and completely enclose him in his mouth. In fact, it happened so quickly that he was afraid, he, telling the story, he was afraid that he'd just been swallowed by a great white shark. Now, I don't know what you typically go through, go through your mind when you experienced something like this, but his first response was to see if it was a great white shark, and so he felt around for teeth in the dark. I guess that's a good plan. I don't know. I really don't want to judge it. When he could not feel teeth, he realized he was in the mouth of a humpback whale. I don't know if that's better or not in that case. The whale stays below for about a minute and then surfaces and violently spits him back out. Witnesses saw this. So this is not, it's not a, up for debate. And now he has the most incredible story to tell. Well, strangely enough, as I was researching his story, I came across a story that happened in 1891 to a guy named James Bartley. James Bartley was a, on a whaling boat, and he falls off, and the reported story that has all kinds of newspaper articles about it said that he was swallowed by a sperm whale, of which he spent 36 hours in the stomach of sperm whale until this whale apparently did not survive whatever, and the guys harvested the whale on a ship. Now, they didn't expect to find him in there. But they harvest the whale, and they begin to butcher this whale, and they get to the stomach, and they realize that there's somebody in the stomach, and they cut it open. And here comes James Bartley, their crewmate, falling out. Now, he was unconscious. 
severely dehydrated. The, the, the stomach acids had bleached him, and he lost his eyesight because of it. Now, what is told about that story, if you go back and research it is, it's so hard to believe that lots of people have come back and tried to counteract the story. So I, I don't know if it's 100% factual. But I know that the extreme nature of it makes it a dubious story, right? And so there's all this investigative research that's gone on to see if this is a factual story. That's how we approach this story that we're about to read. Very similar circumstances, but we're going to read this. But I don't want you to get so hung up in the fish that we miss the message of what God has. And so here's how Jonah, the book of Jonah, which is about the prophet, the man, the, 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 the main character in our story, it begins this way with Jonah 1.1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Okay, pause just, for, just there for a second. God, this is the call. We are two verses in. And Jonah receives his call. But Jonah, and look at this. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Jonah is a known prophet of God. This is what he does. God comes to this prophet and says, here's your next assignment. And Jonah, instead of saying, yes, Lord, here I am, send me. He comes up with a different plan. He's going to run from this because he doesn't want to go to the people of Nineveh. See, Nineveh is a city that's outside the people of God. It's outside the ones that Jonah thinks deserve God's attention. God himself says, it's a wicked city. Its wickedness has come up before me. And God's going to send a prophet to bring the word of God into that city, to bring repentance to that city. Jonah's the man. He has been selected for this mission. And Jonah says, no thanks. And so Jonah attempts the incredible. He wants to run the other direction to give you a sense of this here's a map just in this is Joppa the port that he leaves from here's Nineveh where he's supposed to be going this is about a 550 mile trip this way he wants to go to Tarshish what sits over near modern day Spain and Portugal he's going to the ends of the earth that's the extent that he's trying to run away from God. Jonah is challenged with a message and he's given a a mission and instead of taking that mission on, instead of taking on that call, instead of uh, submitting to the will that God has for his life, Jonah's going to run the opposite direction. So what does he do? He makes travel plans. He heads to the port city of Joppa. He looks at all the departure board. He finds the one going the farthest away. He pays his money, boards the boat, and sets sail. Now, as we go through this, I'm going to give some takeaways that I think if we will hone in this, this is how we can repent of or avoid us dropping a call from God 
And the first one you, you need to be aware of, when there's a will of God in your life and you want to head the other direction, here's some difficult news you need to understand. Satan will always provide a boat headed in the opposite direction of God's will. Satan is always going to make it an easier option to go the opposite direction than the call of God. This is how he operates. You're called to love your spouse. He will present someone to interrupt that and an easier option to exit your marriage. You're called to stand up and be there for your family. He will present Options and distractions that you think are totally legitimate that will pull you in the opposite direction. Satan will always provide a boat. And we are so good at reasoning our way through it. When we see the boat, we start coming up with reasons on why we should get on the boat. God wants me happy, doesn't he? I deserve this. I should be allowed a little happiness in my life, shouldn't I? And we start the process of reasoning on why we should just grab our bags and run right up the gangplank. Because Satan will always provide a boat headed in the opposite direction from God's will. Seldom, seldom will God's will and call on your life be the easy option among the available options. Many of the times, perhaps most of the time, it will be the difficult call that comes through. That's what we've been talking about through this. So Jonah boards the boat. He is going to go in the opposite direction because he thinks that if I get far enough away from the situation, God will send the call to somebody else. God will forget about me. God will, will give me a break on it, will give me a pause on it, whatever. So here's how the story keeps going. Then the Lord, so Jonah gets on the boat and he sails. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice, notice of us, so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they start this journey, and God's not going to let them get very far. And God does what God does. He shows up, and he begins to churn up the sea. And this had to be pretty serious because these sailors are doing what they should not do. They begin, they're so concerned, and this is such a violent storm that the cargo that they have been commissioned to carry, this is how they get paid. They are hoisting overboard. Try to lighten the ship and see if they can't sail away from the storm. And they know that something supernatural has, is occurring. Understand, they've seen storms before. 
But this one's so severe that they know something supernatural is occurring. And so they're praying to any God that anybody has ever called out to before on the boat. They're getting everybody up. they got a list. Everybody call out to your God. Maybe one of the gods will hear us. And so when they go down, down below, they find Jonah asleep. They're trying to figure out, how are you asleep right now? You need to get up and you need to talk to your God. Because they're trying to sail back, they're trying to sail forward, nothing's working, they are stuck in a storm. And these men that have seen storms before, they are scared. Now, in one way, Jonah's pretty apathetic here, doesn't he? Because, look at it from his view, these men do not worship his God, they're pagans. Therefore, they're no better off than the Ninevites that he's been asked to go preach to. And so he has no compassion for them. So they actually have to wake him up and say, you need to engage. You need to help us. And he still doesn't speak up. And so they begin this casting of lots. And somehow they're doing something. And I don't know if it's actually with dice or a drawing of slips of paper or whatever. But there becomes this moment where it falls on Jonah And I believe God worked it out that way, obviously, so that Jonah would be identified. And now he has to confess up that he's the one running from God. What I want you to understand, well, look what he says to them. Verse 8. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made, notice what he says, who made the sea and made the dry land. I worship the one that made all of this. So when he says that, this terrified them. And they asked, and this is what we would have, what have you done? <laughs> I mean, this is, this is like when your kids and your brother or your sister does something that you know is going to get everybody in trouble. What have you done? You've sunk us all. They knew he was running away from the Lord because he told them so. Here they are, these men, and they're scared. And they fire him all these kind of questions. Who are you? What do you do? Tell us about the God that you serve. And he says, I serve the Lord God. And he's the one that made the sea. And he's the one that made the land. And you know what they did? They believed him. Because they saw all the evidence right around them. And in that moment, Jonah learns this about, even though he wants to drop this call, He learns the next thing that I want us to understand. That you can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. You you, you can head in a direction that's away from God's will. You you can make that choice and you can do that, but you cannot remove yourself from God being present because God's already out ahead of you. And so Jonah takes a ship into the opposite direction he wants to escape from god's will and he learns he cannot outrun god he can run from 
but he cannot run, and neither can you. you you're so tempted, and we're so tempted to want to put God in our rearview mirror and be at odds with his will. As if, as long as I just stand up against him enough, he'll relent. He'll grow tired. He'll give up on me. It never happens. So Jonah learns that you cannot outrun God. And now he's endangered this entire boat. He's endangered this entire crew. And so they've cast lots and they've identified him. And he's come forward with with confession. And now the next steps become very dramatic as they form. Look at this. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah says, pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and we'll become calm. I know that's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. Now, understand, if you've got the God of this guy already mad at you, you want to be really careful with this prophet. So they're not, on, they're not on board with the throw him overboard idea right away. But they try to get back to port. And they're working at it. And they're going nowhere. And so they relent now. They could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord. Now these are pagans. They don't believe in Jonah's God until now. And now they're all in. God's already at work bringing people to him that Jonah doesn't want to send a message to. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord. Have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the man greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. It would have been incredible to have been there. The sea is raging. They throw him overboard. And I don't know if it's like any, when he hit the water or just when he left the side. But suddenly it goes. Whew. And there was such a dramatic effect that these men begin to worship the Lord God. These hardened pagan sailors begin to worship the Lord God. And God, even though the reluctance of Jonah that wants to drop the call, God is at work redeeming people to himself. And Jonah finds himself in the belly of a fish where the Lord allows him to live for three days and three nights. Now, What all this does is this all makes Jonah an image of what Jesus is going through. The three days and three nights in the tomb. An innocent man killed on behalf of others so that others may live. And if you read Jonah chapter 2, you see a prayer. The entire chapter of Jonah chapter 2 is a prayer by Jonah. And he's crying out in the belly of this fish because God's going to get your attention somehow. And so when you're in the belly of a fish, God's got your attention. He, he's removed from all distractions. There's no Wi-Fi there. So he is focused. And he begins to pray. And he acknowledges God 
in his life. And he acknowledges he's trying to run from God. So at the end of three days, God spits him out, has the, the great fish spit him out up onto the shore. And he begins to travel. And he goes to Nineveh to begin that. But it's possible to look at this as, as if God was somehow punishing Jonah. And that may be how you're defining some storm in your life right now. That you've gone from the will of God, and so now there's a storm, and you think, well, I deserve the storm because I've run from the will of God, therefore God's punishing me because that's what God does. God, God reaches out, and I've displeased Him, so therefore my life's not going great, something fell apart in the life, and I'm now reaping the punishment for what God is doing. And I would tell you, that's not why God disciplines. Because see, we've got the wrong idea that God punishes people. See, punishment is, is simply a get back at you type deal. That, that's where, that's where as, as, um, I was the, I'm the oldest brother of three, which means I was always right. And it was always the other two's fault. And because what I always wanted as kids, you know, <clears throat> I didn't want justice. I wanted punishment for the other two. Whenever they got on my nerves, when they did something that crossed me, I wanted them to be punished. And there was never, we called it getting even, but there never was really any getting even because the, it was like the ledger never balanced. I just wanted to get back at them. So mom or dad, as they would net out a punishment, it just seemed so right and it just felt so good, right? So we take that view and we think at God, and God's not punishing his people. God doesn't send the storm and the fish to punish Jonah he doesn't want to get back at Jonah. He wants to bring Jonah back. He wants to win Jonah back. God is pursuing you not to get you back, but to bring you back. And so whatever storm you're experiencing in your life, is it possible that you dropped a call? And God, in His incredible grace and mercy, is trying to bring you back through some form of discipline. Not because He needs a punishment meted out on you, but because He wants to win you back into relationship with Him. Jonah returns, and he goes, and he preaches as God called him to. And in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 10, we have this. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and, not, and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Here was an incredibly wicked city. And this is the reason Jonah did not want to go there because he goes, God, I know if I go there and I preach and I repent and they repent, you're going to forgive them, God. I mean, he's accusing God of this. You're going to forgive them, and that makes me mad because they don't deserve your grace. They are so far out of your reach that they don't deserve your grace. And here's what Jonah needs to understand and what you and I need to understand. God's grace always goes to people who don't deserve it. Because that's what grace is. And if you're dropping a call... One thing that I'm going to challenge you to do 
is I want to challenge you to reflect on and pray about how much God has forgiven you. Because when you see the grace in your life, you begin to understand how much you didn't deserve it. And yet God lavished his grace on you. And so for Jonah, the question is not, does he believe in God's grace? Is he willing to be a vessel of God's grace for others? That's the reason he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Because God keeps showing up and giving grace to people that don't deserve it. And there's people in your life that if we got real honest, you would have a list. And maybe there's actual names on the list, or maybe there's actual groups of people, or people groups out there somewhere in the world, or they vote a certain way, or they have a different belief than you, and you're pretty sure that they don't deserve God's grace. And we secretly hope that God gives them what they deserve. Isn't it amazing that when it comes to my life, and see if you're the same way, when it comes to my life, I so want God's grace and mercy. When it comes to somebody else, I so want God's justice. Because you see, I don't have sins. I have issues. And God understands my issues. But them, they, whoever they are for you, they're just defiant sinners. And someday God's going to give them what they deserve. God's grace always goes to people that don't deserve it because that's exactly what grace is. The story ends like this. If you want, chapter 4 says this. This is after God relents. This is the very next verse. It goes from chapter 3, verse 10 to chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He just had the most effective preaching revival in all of history. Okay? Not just the front section of pews repented. Not just the church repented. The entire city that takes three days to walk across, repented, this mighty city, all the way up to the king down. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. This is what, the reason I dropped the call, God. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life. For it's better for me to die than live. He's so upset at God's grace, he's like, kill me now. I don't want to be in heaven with those folks. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in his shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease the discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. They were having a hundred degree summer that time. So, but at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? 
it is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. Some of you have seen this kind of behavior in your children, right? I mean, this is what he's doing. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Jonah goes and sits on the hill and watches the city because he's hoping God's going to burn it. And he's hot, and he's miserable, and he's grumpy, and he's just like a good church person, and we're not having any fun, and the air conditioner's not working, and he's not comfortable. And so God sends a plant and creates some shade. He says, that's right, I deserve the shade. And God says, not too fast. And he sends a worm and he chews up the plant. The plant dies and, God, and Jonah's right back and being grumpy again. God, I knew this was all going to happen. And God says, Jonah, you're worried about a plant. I'm worried about people that don't know me yet. You're worried about your comfort. I'm worried about souls that I'm not in relationship with yet. And the book ends in this really strange way where Jonah's not yet on board with God's plan. And the question is left wide open. The question is for you and me, will we get on board? Pick up the call instead of dropping it. So my question for you is, What's your Nineveh? What's the person or the people or the ministry that God's been placing on your heart and you've been avoiding? Maybe it's time to teach a class. Teaching our two-year-olds, our three-year-olds. Maybe it's time to step in and be one of the summit leaders for Justin on a Wednesday night. Maybe God's calling you to participate more fully in this impact block party and to step outside of a certain zone of comfort that you have. Maybe there's something that he's been calling you to do in your workplace. Maybe he's been calling you to do something in your school. Maybe he's expecting you to go sit in the cafeteria at lunchtime next to that one student that nobody else is sitting next to. Who is your Neva? And what you answer the call. And I would just end by encouraging you with this. Aren't we so grateful that Jesus did? That Jesus was thrown overboard onto the cross. And unlike Jonah, he was a completely innocent man. Spent three days in the belly of the grave and walked out again to share his grace with all. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would use this story to open our hearts. That you would use this story to loosen our grip on the wheel where we're trying to steer it our direction. Father, for those of us that have dropped the call and we've gone in the opposite direction, I pray that you would bring us back And Father, it's hard to say, but would you bring us back with your discipline? 
Father, for those of us that keep finding that other boat going in the opposite direction, would you sink the boat? Shut the door to that possibility. And would you give each of us such a burden on our hearts this week that we begin to reach out to the Nineveh that you have for us. Father, we praise the name of Jesus who came to this wicked place and did not see it as so far gone that he gave up on it, but by your grace that when we repent, you relent. And you poured your grace out upon us. And Father, may we not take pride in that, but extreme gratitude. And give you praise for it and join you in your rescue operation. Father, ask all this in the name of the one that walked out of the the belly of the grave as a king. It's in his name we pray. Amen.